it is my belief that today's world is a very fast-moving capitalism, and sometimes everything moves so fast that I just want to hop off. I want to take a break. I want to stop and say, "Hey, nothing bad will happen. Take a break. You don't have to be so fast. Enjoy the moment." And cooking helps me do so. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. To help Ukrainians, we need to break the stereotypes because Ukraine is not just a former Soviet Union country nor Chernobyl. The new generation of Ukrainians today have unlimited potential. This podcast is to break the stereotypes about Ukrainians and show the greatness of Ukraine to the world. Hello, my name is Aziz, and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help liquidate the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me, and even though he struggled with cancer after that, for the rest of his life he always told me many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then, from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to help build orphanages for Ukrainian children. I couldn't return to Kiev because of the pandemic, so this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. And thank you all so much for the support. More than 120 people participated in this project for Ukraine, from the vice president of the Helen Marlin Group. To the vice chancellor of the UGCC, to the president of the Erasmus Student Network Kiev, to the president of the World Trade Center Kiev, to students from the Flex Program, Yale University, Harvard, and the London School of Economics, to the United Nations, to interns at the Ukrainian Parliament and at the Canadian Parliament, to top one percent students in Ukraine, but not only them. This project is for all Ukrainians from all backgrounds, so please support this podcast by sharing an Instagram story today and mention the page Aziz dot Future. My goal is to make interviews with hundreds of Ukrainians, and the world is listening. This podcast is already top one hundred in France and Switzerland, top sixty in the United Kingdom and Japan, top fifty in Germany and Canada, top twenty-five on Apple Russia, top fifteen in Poland and Australia, and top ten in Norway, Sweden, and South Korea, and many other places. This is now officially the number one podcast on Apple about Ukraine. Together, we will break the stereotypes. Together, we will help all other countries discover and respect the greatness of Ukrainian people, and this will support the development of Ukraine, creating more opportunities for every Ukrainian to have a good life. So let's begin. My guest today is Vadim Gladun. Vadim is a Flex alumnus 2016, a Flex alumni coordinator from 2018 to 2020, an ESL teacher, an accent coach, and the founder and CEO of Speaking Space, 
an online English school. Vadim, how are you today? Hey, I'm absolutely fantastic. Thanks for asking. I am honored, privileged, and happy and glad to have you here. And I will begin with my most favorite new question, which is this. Vadim, what is on your mind these days? What is the thought that you keep on reflecting on, thinking about, maybe something you're trying to improve, to change, to understand deeper, or that is just important for you? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And I think the answer is that, uh, you know, my thought is how to become the best version of myself possible in uh, these difficult times of the, the pandemic. You know, everything is so crazy around us. I think we lose the sense of being a human being. Thank you. So because of the pandemic, there is a high likelihood that people will lose a sense of being a human being and they will not work towards developing themselves. And your thoughts are going towards what to do to become the best version of yourself possible. Is this correct? Did I understand correctly? Absolutely. Thank you. And to think about it, did you always believe that you had somewhat of an unlimited potential? Only because it tends to be that many people think that they're limited, but then they have some experiences in their life or they get fed up with the limits and they decide, no, I can, will, and choose to become the best version of myself. So did, did you always have that thought or did it develop because of some experiences? Um, to, to tell the truth, um, well, I'm not almighty, I'm not God, but uh, I've always believed there's absolutely nothing that can stop me. If I, if I wanted something, I, I would always get it. And I, I still believe so up till this day. Thank you, which is great. Many people, whether Napoleon Bonaparte or others, so you said you're not almighty God, of course, I don't mean it in that way. They're born believing that there is greatness within them. And to think about it further, is it something more personal? Or is this something you notice that other people don't believe and you try to ignite in other people their belief in themselves and their potential for getting what they deserve, what they want and what they work hard for? Um, I think it's more of a personal issue and something that we should, each of us should focus on in order to improve not only ourselves, but the, the society overall. Thank you. And tell me about your experience since you mentioned the pandemic. How did the pandemic affect, whether positively by giving you more time or negatively by adding more distractions, this path and progress towards being and becoming the next and best version of yourself? Mm, the pandemic has given me actually quite a lot. So, you know, uh, when the whole thing started, I was, I was absolutely terrified. Um, just like anyone else, I was terrified of losing my job. 
I was terrified of losing my students. I was terrified of quitting and giving up on my on my passion, which is teaching. So uh, I realized that well, there's nothing to be scared of, and even if I lose my job, even if I lose the company that I work for, I should find a way out. So I've decided that if I have, if I run and manage my own English school, well, there's no way I can lose it because I'm not gonna give up. You know, I'm not scared of、um, difficulties or stumbling blocks. And I felt like if I have something of my own, I'll definitely do whatever it takes in order for that business to be successful. And thus, I think it helps me become the best version of myself. I'm not scared of challenges anymore. I'm I'm not scared of losing my job. And yeah, I I do what I like. I do what I love. Actually, I like that answer. And to confirm what I heard, you had a job. Before or at the beginning of the pandemic, you were terrified of the consequences of the pandemic, losing your job, losing your students. But then you recalibrated and thought, "I don't give up on my goals, so I will start my online English school." And because I am the boss, I won't get fired <laughs> unless I fire myself. And because you knew you are persistent. You have grit, and you just keep going for your goals. That means that you will always keep on working and overcoming the challenges, and then you will have the security of trust in yourself, rather than depending on something that is out of your control and you can lose at any time. Is this a fair understanding? Yeah, and you know the the beauty of it all is that I I killed two birds with one stone. I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose the company that I taught for, and now I have my own company. So I have two places that I work for. Brilliant! And I have to return to something. Sure. Because when you mentioned teaching, and you said my passion for teaching, it was probably the most emotionally charged two words you spoke about so far. So tell me more about your passion for teaching. Why is it meaningful to you, and what do you enjoy and love about teaching? Um, I believe that teaching is one of the most rewarding jobs out there. When I teach, I have this great feeling of of help and care that I give to others, and、uh, the the thing that I love the most is. Uh, that I I I see with my own eyes how people improve, how their self esteem grows, how they become more confident in what they do, and how English changes their lives for the better. They they make more money, they afford more things, and they they feel greater. They feel lighter in this life, and it's priceless. Thank you. So it's like Mastercard; <laughs> it's priceless. <laughs> so to, to summarize and make、yeah. sure I understood correctly, you said that teaching is one of the most rewarding activities or things you can ever do. It comes from love and care, which is scientifically proven that actually, when you do a kind gesture or something that comes from love and caring. The person that receives it feels good, 
you feel great and any person observing, they feel great as well. So it's like the most contagious, positive thing ever. And when your students speak English well, improve, you can notice the progress that you created. You can notice the increase in their self-esteem and you can notice their progress towards their goals, financial stability and freedom and a better life. Is this a correct understanding? Absolutely. And remember, I told you that I'm not God, but when I teach my students and when I see their progress, it makes me feel like I'm God. Thank you. And even before I ask more, but no, I have no problem with that because we're all godly in our own way. Like, uh, or as I was, when I was speaking with the vice chancellor of the Ukrainian Catholic Church, uh, that in religion, they have this ideal that you become isochristos or uh, Christ alternate, which is like equal to God in your deeds and in your benevolence and in your <laughs> etc. So it's not uh, uh, something that is considered anti-godly um, to think that you're uh, equivalent in the goodness that you create in this world, because that's the ideal that you should aim towards. And I'm not saying it as a like from a religious perspective, but I understand that in religious thought, there is that there, that it's not considered arrogant, but rather an ideal. Well, even before I ask you another question, do you have a story that is really close to your heart of some student that their lives was impacted really positively because of your teaching? And sometimes when you have a hard day or a hard moment, you reflect upon it, you think about it, and you feel recharged and reinvigorated again. Um, I think I do, actually. I have a story of one of my students. Uh, her name is Irina. She actually used to be one of my students, and uh, she has started a long time ago. Uh, I actually don't know when, but that was quite a, a long time ago. We have had lots of classes, lots of practice, lots of English studying and so on. And then one day she told me that she has a dream. She wants to move from Ukraine to Canada and she wanted to get a new job. With that being said, she showed me her determination. She applied for a job and now she got a job at Amazon in Vancouver, Canada. So that was one of the greatest achievements, not only in her life, but also in my life, because she had to pass a lot of interviews in English. She had to pass a lot of um, tests. She had to take a lot of tests. So I was definitely, I was always there for her. And that warms my heart every single time I think about it. I agree with you. It sounds wonderful. Like she was a true hero going through from not speaking English that competently or fluently or at least not having the confidence to being taught by you and then passing those exams and doing all those interviews to do the very difficult thing of being a Ukrainian who gets accepted and moving at such a 
multinational company in Vancouver, Canada, which was her dream as well. It's not even one positive thing that happened to her, but it's will turned and put into action and turned into reality. I love that. And to ask you, because in many ways, superheroes, and I think now about you, you said you're not godly, but why not think about you as a superhero? I like <laughs> to support people with positive imagery. Well, all superheroes have an origin story that explains what they do today, whether Batman being in that alley and their, his parents being victims of a crime and he decided to fight crime or Spider-Man when he didn't stop that bank robber and then his uncle uh, suffering because of that and dying and telling him that with great power comes great responsibility. Well, you as a person who has a passion for teaching, somewhere along the way, maybe in childhood, maybe in your teenage years, you had an experience similar to teaching, or maybe you read a book and there was a character that inspired you or a movie or a family member, or you taught something and then you felt great, but there is always an origin story. What is yours that led you to become a teacher and find passion in teaching? Well, my story is quite the opposite. I remember myself, um, I, I don't know, probably at, a, at the second grade of uh, school. And I remember, like today, we had an English class and I, I tried to elaborate on my thoughts. I tried to study some words and some grammar was very difficult for me and i simply couldn't and then um a teacher of mine well my english teacher back then she told me one thing that was something that i i still remember and i think i will never forget she told me that i will never ever understand english and i will never ever speak it so that was a huge, you know, huge wave of motivation for myself to prove her wrong, to prove that I will, to prove that I will become great at English and not only become great at it, but also I'll become able to teach it and help other students in a, complete, a completely different way than she, she did back then. So, uh, yeah. My story is a little bit different, but that was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm very thankful for, for those words. They might've motivated me to, to become who I am right now. Actually, it's very, very relevant. That's a defiance story, which is similar to the U.S. when they defied the British empire to get their independence and to become what they call the greatest country in the world and manifest destiny and all those ideas came exactly because uh, the British Empire told them those same words almost, but not really, that your teacher taught you. So it's very relevant to you teaching English and I believe you focusing on the American accent rather than a British accent or Australian or any other so it's about defiance and it's about proving to the world that told you no, that actually you can overcome and become the best version of yourself. And then to go back to that idea, 
how would you define becoming anyone, whether you or anyone, becoming the best version of themselves? Mm, I think it's a feeling that when you're absolutely content with yourself and with who you are and what you do in this life. I'm not sure if I'm still, uh, I'm definitely not the greatest version of myself yet. But um, yeah, you know, every day I, I feel like I, I like myself more. I love myself more and I care about myself more because I look at the, the things that I do and they make me feel so. I like this and I want to discuss with you an idea and it actually comes from Buddhism but it was reflected in the Mark Manson book. And there, there is this idea that actually, if you don't feel today satisfied with who you are and you're thinking I will be happy in the future when I am the best version of myself, you train your brain to not feel, appreciate what you have. And even when you arrive to that goal, you will push it further and always all your life you'll be chasing an illusion and the mirage of a perfect self which is unattainable because as Moshe Feldenkrais says, there is no limit to improvement or even mathematically, it's infinite the possibilities that are open to you, there is always more to improve. But you mentioned that every day you love yourself more, appreciate yourself more, which is the Mark Manson and the Zen Buddhist thought that love the moment, love everything as is, it's perfect as it is, and choose to become better. So it's about loving who you are today and choosing to become better because you want to. Is this a thought that you have? Or do you have struggles like most people who always think, oh, I'm not happy with this, I'm not happy with this, I'll be happy tomorrow, but then tomorrow comes and they think, no, I'll be happy next week, and then next week comes and they'll be like, I'll be happy when I'm in Canada, and then they're in Canada, they're like, I'll be happy when I have a car, and then they have a car, I'll be happy when I have a house, and then when they have a house, I'll be happy when I'm the president, <laughs> when they're the president, they'll be like, I'll be happy when I'm an emperor, and then it becomes, you know, the Star Wars Dark Empire <laughs> with it. But please share your thoughts. Well, to back you up here, I think that, well, my belief is that tomorrow isn't promised. What if tomorrow never comes? So I believe that it's, well, there's always place for growth, but you should, you, you actually must love yourself today and how did that develop because the whole of society and the world is anti that actually it tries whether through consumerism or other ways to make us feel unsatisfied with who we are with what we have with today and makes us think we have to pay or do something or buy something or work harder as a cog in the wheel just to reach that satisfaction. So how did that insight arrive to you? Is it from some book that you love, from something you notice in life, or how did that insight trigger the Eureka moment? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I have a, you know, an answer 
for for your question because, well, I don't remember a book or a movie that taught me this. This is kind of the conclusion that I've made for myself:、uh, living this life, experiencing this life, having problems and difficulties. Yeah, I just realized that. Well, I, having I, yeah problems and difficulties and realizing. This insight, and I would like to speak to you now about accents. Well, actually, there is a difference between mastering a language and mastering the accent, which is called when you think about linguistics that there is the grammar, vocabulary, etc., or the mechanics of the language, and there is the mimics or the melodic musical part, which is the accent. To you. Why was it important to focus on the accent? Maybe your students really want to sound very、uh, North American, and I noticed in your accent. I don't know whether it's all, but some parts are very Chicago accent. Is this on purpose, or it just happened to be? Um, it's actually well, no, it's not on purpose. I, I think it's just、uh, the way I'm. I'm used to speak something that I've been hearing, and you know it's quite difficult because、um, I don't live in America currently. So I every single day I face different accents. I watch a lot of different videos. I listen to different podcasts and different audio materials. So I get English, well, particularly American English. From different parts of the country, so I think, you know, the information that I get just kind of, uh, uh, it's it's a blend, it's a combination of different accents. So sometimes <laughs> I think I sound Californian, sometimes maybe it may be Chicago-like, sometimes I sound like someone from、uh, Portland, Oregon, and maybe sometimes I sound like Ukrainian. I don't know. Which is absolutely great. If you started your own YouTube channel, it's like Gary Vee would say: when you are someone with a, something unique about you, you have your own uniqueness, and you catch attention just by being, by existing. So the fact that I noticed your accent had some parts from Chicago, somewhere from Boston, but no New York accent. I noticed the absence of <laughs> the, the New York way of speaking, but it's really cool. And to make sure, like I said, why was developing the accent important for you? Because I remember this, and it was from Professor Arguelles, who has a YouTube channel about linguistics and advanced. Language learning, etc., and he was speaking that there was a Japanese professor who works in the U.S. and he's highly distinguished, and he speaks English like he writes perfectly. He's a super genius, but his accent is really bad. And not to say anything bad about him, and there are some people like I know he's called Idahozanes, who is from the mimic method, and this guy is a musician. And he has the ability to speak with any accent in the world without knowing the language. If he hears someone speaking, he can speak in that way because of his musical brain and musical ear. So he can speak Russian or Ukrainian or Japanese in a way that sounds like a native perfectly, 
although he doesn't know the grammar or the vocabulary or knows what he's saying. So there is totally two different spheres in the brain and in the language learning when it comes to this. You can speak like him with perfect accent, but you don't know how to speak the language. Or like the Japanese professor in the US, you can speak English perfectly and at an advanced level, but your accent is very poor to you. Why was accent valuable and what are your thoughts on this? Um, I have a couple of reasons, uh, actually. The first reason is that I, I love to be understood. And I, and I know that pronunciation and having uh, a great accent, having great pronunciation is one of the ways to be understood and to deliver your message to someone. And uh, the second reason is that I used to play different, multiple musical instruments. And for me, pronunciation is the music of the language. So it has always been interesting for me to, you know, look into uh, different pronunciation aspects. It was always interesting for me to develop my hearing, to develop the, the range of sounds that I make, that I'm able to make. And um, yeah, so it's like playing a musical instrument. Yes, and the Idahosa man, he is a musician, and that's what allows him to know the cadence, melody, etc. of the language. And I have to return to something. You said the pronunciation and speaking in a clear way allows you to deliver your message. Well, how is that? related to teaching or is it different what is the relationship between teaching and delivering your message in communication well i think a great teacher is someone who is able to be understood right because if you try to teach something if you try to spread your gospel you have to make sure that Students want to listen to you. Students want to get the information from you. So I think when you know how to make someone interested, that brings success. And also pronunciation is one of the ways to attract my students' attention. I know that if I speak beautifully, if I speak clearly, they want to listen to me and they get the information from me. Actually, they do it subconsciously. They don't even notice it. I love that answer. And so I have to ask you, because, for example, in mathematics, often we cannot prove that something is correct. But the only way to prove it's correct is to prove that the opposite of it is incorrect, if I might say. <laughs> so to you, what do other teachers in Ukraine, maybe your old teacher who tried to demotivate you, but that pushed you even further or people who don't get attention, but they're trying their best to become teachers of English unsuccessfully. What do they do that you believe is not the right way? And what do you do instead? Hmm. I think uh, the, the biggest problem is that they don't like what they do. Some of the teachers that I've had in my life they actually hate their job. They don't like the language. 
They don't like the processes. Processes. They simply don't care. It's not their passion. It's something that maybe their parents made them choose, or something that they choose by accident, and they do it because that is the only thing that they know how to do.、Um, and I, I do believe that it's the biggest problem. I'm not really sure if I should add anything to it. I think, yeah, that's the main reason. That's the thing that I try to do differently. Thank you. So, if I understood you correctly, whether it's because they're not, they didn't have good enough grades to do something like physics or mathematics. I don't know whether it's the case in Ukraine, but in many countries, to study literature or languages, it's for a people who can have. A grade that is not as high to take them to medicine, or to math, or to physics. I'm not saying that that's why you chose it. So it means to them, they tried to become doctors but failed and became English language teachers, or some people who want an easy study, what they call easy, although I don't believe it is. So they choose something like that rather than learning formulas, etc. And they choose it maybe because their parents want them to get a job that will be more secure in some way. So they think, okay, I'll become a teacher, etc. So they do it for the wrong reasons. While if they did it for the right reason, which is following their heart and knowing what their heart tells them should be their profession, they will excel at it. They will come at it with burning fire every day. And they will find creative ways to be more effective, more productive, and create more results in the world. And therefore, they will come to their students with care and love, as you mentioned, you do. And then the students will benefit a lot more, rather than nonchalance, as the French say, or non-care and being cavalier with it. Is this a correct understanding? Absolutely correct. And if so, what is it about the current state of the educational system in Ukraine that, if you could have all the power and even a magical wand to change, you'd like to change that will be truly beneficial for the future of the Ukrainian generations? I think that Ukrainian education lacks fun. It's not fun, and that is the. The thing that makes the whole process so toxic. Well, to give you、um, an example, when I was in the states as a as one of the Flex alumni, I I've had the greatest teachers ever, and all of them, trust me, all of them were my friends. So I could come up to them, I could trust them, I could ask anything, and we would at no at, at any point we would have fun. Uh, during the class, after the class, it was just a very easy and enjoyable process. But what we have in Ukraine is, well, you you must why? Because someone said so. There is no fun. You study something, you get a grade, and no one cares if you understand or not. They just need to, you know, fulfill their their task or whatever they do. So I, I think, yeah. I like fun and positivity, and that is my answer. Thank you.
And what I am hearing is that the educational system, to put it in other terms, doesn't encourage the intrinsic motivation or the inside and inner passions of the students, but the extrinsic motivation or the carrot and stick punishment and reward to make people behave in a way that the system or the professors or whoever is in charge wants them to do without caring about their soul, their passion, and them following their natural curiosity and having fun so they fall in love with the process and with the topic rather than feeling it's a sure obligation and something they have to do that is more of a punishment, if we might call it, rather than a pleasurable thing. Is this correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Thank you. And let's speak more about Vadim as a person. When, I mean, of course, we were speaking to you as a per, uh, <laughs> about you as a person, but as a, on a more personal level, you teach, you work, there is a pandemic, you're developing yourself. But when you want to forget all troubles, to relax, to have a great moment or a great day where you clear your mind and feel alive, what kind of activities do you value, enjoy, and like to do? Hmm. Um, I am keen on cooking. I cook every single day, and that is the thing that brightens me up. That is the thing that lets me to get rid of this, you know, tension and uh, get rid of uh, negativity that I got during the day. So cooking is something that makes me feel alive, that something that recharge me, it recharges me, rejuvenates me. I like that. Let's explore it with timelines, which means like, let's go to the past, present and future. So the past, what is your one of your earliest memories about cooking that are truly, truly a treasure for you that are meaningful and valuable and just are to your heart something that you cherish? I remember myself being a four-year-old kid and I remember I would sit in a huge boiling pot, of course, not on a stove, I was on the floor, and I would watch my mom make pastry. I would watch her make different buns and different what we call pirashki as basically the sweet pastry. So uh, that memory is absolutely priceless. Thank you. And so how does the emotion and feeling of cooking today relate to that? Is it something like when you cook, in a way you feel the love and care of your mom or connected to tradition and family or some feeling that relates throughout the time from the past to now that is meaningful to you when it comes to cooking? You know, when I cook, I feel cozy. Or what my Swedish friends say, I feel huga, is when you're in complete balance with yourself, you're happy, you feel protected, you feel shielded from the, the outside world, and nothing can penetrate this coziness, you know, this protection that cooking creates. 
I love that. And in the Netherlands, they call it gezellig, which is a similar feeling that includes both cozy and being around family and being warm in winter at the same time. It's a unique word that is really cool. So today, when you cook, these days, what is your favorite part? Is it before when you're anticipating just, oh my God, I'm going to feel so cozy soon when I cook? Or is it when you begin cooking and just those first moments of changing your emotional state or when you are lost, protected in the moment, lost in the activity of cooking and just in flow and feeling cozy? Or is it after when you're eating and proud of the result? You know, today I think I value the the opportunity to disconnect, to to get away from everything else and just to be on my own, creating a new recipe or trying a new recipe. It's, uh, it's the thing that I value the most nowadays. To disconnect. And that's very, very interesting. It's a truly interesting answer. So for you, do you feel that these days the world is overconnected and too connected? What are your thoughts? What are the things that seem to not give you, like to make you feel the feeling of being overwhelmed? Maybe it's social media, maybe it's the news. Maybe it's you're an introvert and you like time alone and therefore you need to disconnect. Or what is the opposite that you are taking time off from that when you are cooking and disconnecting from that? Um, it is my belief that today's world is a very fast-moving capitalism. And sometimes everything moves so fast that I just want to hop off. I want to take a break. I want to stop and say, hey, nothing bad will happen. Take a break. You don't have to be so fast. Enjoy the moment. And cooking helps me do so. Thank you. So if I understood correctly, there is somewhat of a fear of missing out or FOMO, as well as a thought that life is, is really happening so uh, quickly. And there is, I think a book is called In Praise of Slowness or the Slowness Movement, where they encourage people to return to a slower state of being because achieving more actually and rushing all the time makes you lose sense of life. And in the end, you have more things and projects and achievements, but you didn't live during all that time. Life was slipping away meanwhile so to you it's in a way creating a small fortress to protect your time and your connection to life and to return and feel alive by living and appreciating every second of the process of cooking uh, rather than either fearing that you're missing out something if you're disconnected or having to keep up with the quickness of life and is this a correct and fair understanding? Yeah, sure. And there is actually a wonderful book uh, by Seneca on a shortness of life that basically aims to teach us that life is not too short 
if you know how to live it, if you know when to take a break, if you know when to hop off. I love that answer, and I love Stoicism, and I love that book as well as the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So let's speak about Stoicism. How did Stoicism and the ideas of the Stoics and the Stoic philosophers, which is not to be confused with the modern understanding of Stoicism, which is not showing or feeling any emotions, but Stoicism is more about saying. We cannot control what everything in life, so we shouldn't even try to stress about controlling it. We can only control what we do and our attitudes about the things we do and that happen, the events that happen. And therefore, that is the only power we have. And if we try to control anything else, it's an illusion and it makes us lose power, lose balance, and that life is about equanimity. Or to have a balanced emotional state by understanding what you control and letting go of what you don't control. That is, of course, my own take and summary of it. What are your thoughts about stoicism? And is there a lesson from there that you try to remember often and that you might like to share with the audience that they can benefit from in their lives?、Um. Honestly, I do agree with your answer, and I think that well, today's life is sort of an obsession. We try to control every little thing, and we try to care about everything. But I, I see this、uh, actually. I see this case as the following. You know, imagine you have a a budget、um, that you can use to to care about certain things. So you can't care about everything because you're gonna lose your budget. You have a limit. You have a certain limit. So、uh, you you really you have to start prioritizing what you should care about or what you shouldn't care about. So if you know if it's if it's clear to you that well I can control this thing, maybe it has already happened. So why worry about it? Why care about it? So I think that the main lesson that I wanna Uh, delivered today is that if you know that you shouldn't be controlling this thing, you shouldn't be caring about this thing. Well, you shouldn't just let it go. Which is absolutely true, wonderful, and also reflected in that Mark Manson book that I spoke about earlier. If people wish to learn more about your online school, or to message you, or to learn more about you. What social media or links would you like me to write in the description? And you can share it now so that people maybe can jot them down and remember.、Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you too. It was absolutely amazing, and I, I had a lot of a lot of fun, and it was definitely a pleasure. And、uh, if someone would like to contact me, well, I use. Uh, well, speaking of social media, I use、uh, Instagram quite a lot, so I could. I think you know my Instagram, so you could use my nickname. And uh, also, uh, if someone is interested in innovative ways of learning English, I'll be happy to help. And you could also contact my English school email. 
So it's English at speaking dot space. That's our email. I like that. Thank you very much, Vadim. It was a great conversation, and I wish you a brilliant day. And I hope you'll go right away to cook and enjoy that cozy <laughs> feeling <laughs> again. Thank you so much.、Uh, I really appreciate your time and effort. It means a lot to me. Thanks. 